Welcome to We Have This Hope. I'm Emily Curzon, and this is a podcast about the art of remembering and the practice of telling. On the show, we share stories of hope, looking backward at the work of God in our ordinary lives. This show is for those who are low on hope, those who need to be reminded that God is with us, and those who have a story to tell. That means it's for all of us. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. It's the first episode of 2024, and I'm delighted to be sitting here with my heated blanket. (laughs) Um, Our church has a lovely tradition on our last Sunday of the year. We have a service that we call the Thanks Be to God service, and this is where folks in our congregation can stand up and share a little bit about where they've seen the work of God in their lives over the past year, whatever that looks like. So my guest today, my first guest for 2024, didn't know she was going to get asked to do a podcast interview when she sat in front of me that Sunday, but I'm so glad she did because she's one of those people that you see over and over again and you think, I'd really like to know them. So today's guest is my new friend, Casey Rutherford. She's a mom of three who happens to live down the street from me, and we're both part of the same church. So I've asked Casey to share her story without really giving her much of a warning, and she said yes without really hesitating, which is awesome. Casey, welcome to We Have This Hope. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here, too. After our pre-call today, Casey and I were on the phone um, earlier today just kind of talking through what would our conversation look like and what parts of her story she was going to share, and I was already blown away. I told my husband afterward, I'm like, oh, this is going to be such a good episode, really just confirming that when I asked you to do this, I didn't really know your story at all. And by didn't really, I mean, I didn't know your story at all. Um, sometimes I just go with the spirit of God tapping me on the shoulder. Um, and that's why I you know, tapped you on the shoulder and said, would you like to do this? So I'm really excited. I think everyone that's listening is going to be really encouraged. So thanks for yeah. doing it. We are both in mom mode on a cold winter day. We're both in our sweatshirts with our blankets, and here we are. So, Casey, will you just tell us who you are and who you do life with regularly? I'm Casey, and I am married to my husband, Justin. We have three kids. Um, they're almost four, two and a half, and six months, and I stay at home with them full time and do a lot of play, a lot of littles um, all day long, and so... We always love to spend time together, so we do breakfast together, Me, at least me and the kids. Um, if my husband's home in the morning, sometimes he'll get to join us for breakfast, but um, we always sit at the table. We always make breakfast, lunch, and dinner together, so if you have littles, you know how chaotic that is, but I like to bring them in, and so they, they know how to cook a lot of things with me. Um, we bake a lot, things like that. We go through different like truth statements or declarations every day. I have one for every week. Do like a scripture mm-hmm. memory that is that parallels the same thing that we do with um, our little co-op. So we do that every morning. We just recite it. I might have hand motions if I'm feeling very creative, but usually I just say it. 
I'm curious, what are some of the declarations or can you like, what's the one for this week? If you can remember um, the one for this week, we just started a new one. It's a, this one is I sit at the feet of Jesus last week. It was, I am known and loved by God. So there's just different ones mm. um, for each week. And they're, you know, they're different than a scripture memory, which that is wonderful, but also at this age, it's really nice for them to, to just believe something very, very, very simple. Yeah. So we do the declarations and then we do this benediction that's from the peaceful press. And so it's, and I have little hand motions. His law is love. His gospel is peace. May he have his way in me. And so each week there's a different declaration that goes with their curriculum. And then we do the benediction and it's really sweet because Lottie knows it and she's too. And so, yeah, I can tell even from your driveway play that you're a really intentional mom. And I love that. It's so beautiful. Oh, okay. So when we do these remembering interviews, the focus is always sort of looking backward at our story and talking about what those experiences were like, how we felt at the time, what we were thinking, and then what God did with that. And then looking at how does that impact our hope now? So when you and I were talking about sharing your story, what we really kind of landed on was sort of telling the story of how you came to faith, how you how you grew up in your family of origin, and then how you were first exposed to the gospel, and then what God has done in you over all these years. And so sort of what's cool is we're going to get to hear your whole story. <laughs> Um, or starting from, yeah, starting from the very beginning. So that's where we're going to go now. Um, and I'm just going to ask you if you tell us a little bit about your family growing up. What were regular days like for you when you were little growing up? Yeah. So I have an older sister. She's a year and a half older than I am. And we went to school, went to public school. My mom stayed home. My dad worked. He worked a lot. I mean, we just, we went to school and we came home and played. We didn't live in the neighborhood. And so we had a woods behind our house. We were in the city, but kind of the city kind of built around us. So we just played a lot outside. What was the dynamic like in your family of four? What were things like and how did that shape the way you viewed the world and yourself? Yeah. So I was really close with my dad. We had a good relationship. I was involved in athletics. I played basketball and I ran. And so we just already had a bond because my dad enjoyed all that and was really athletic. Um, and then my my sister and I were kind of <laughs> either best friends or worst enemies. Um, and so it depended on on the day, really, if, if I was like allowed to play with them or allowed to hang out with them. Or if I needed to, if I was a little sister and needed to go go away. Um, so that was kind of confusing. But then my mom and I, we just didn't really get along that much. Uh, we weren't very close. She, um, I would say my in my experience, she favored my sister with different activities and chose different things. And we just didn't really have much in common. We didn't spend a lot of time together. Like I remember like Thanksgivings, things like that, where you know, you want your family to come together and cook together or do something together, but we were kind of banished from the kitchen. And so never really learned how to cook, unfortunately, because of that. Um, mm. We didn't eat dinners together. We ate at the bar. My dad would come home kind of after dinner or right after we were eating. You know, the TV was on. We didn't really sit at the dinner table together, except for, you know, major holidays. 
how did that dynamic change as you got older and you were like maybe driving in high school and um, yeah, kind of, I don't know, coming into your own for lack of a better expression. Yeah. So I, being kind of where I was at, I feel like I kind of grew callous of like, you know, maybe we weren't going to have dinners together. Well, I still want relationships. So I'm just going to go out and hang out with my friends. I worked, I went to school, I was highly involved in everything I had practiced before school and after school. And then I would either work or I did like student council type stuff. And so I just filled up my schedule, anything to basically not be home and to be home and feel the absence of relationship. How did you, how did your family handle emotions? They didn't, (laughs) they didn't acknowledge them um, very much. I feel like anger was probably the only acceptable emotion and even that, it was kind of, you know, not too far. Um, we didn't reconcile. There was no apologies. There was no accepting responsibility for anything. Um, it was very much you're on your own and you need to figure it out or you're too much. Your emotions are too much and mm-hmm. you need to get it get it under control mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, you which, mentioned earlier the sticks and stones kind of like motto growing up. Yes. I actually, I had mentioned this book that I read. I don't want to skip too too far forward, but I am going to read something. This is called The Voice of the Heart. I read this book years later, but it kind of put words to like what I was thinking about as far as like the sticks and stones. Um, this is how I felt like in high school and probably into college, you know, before I became a believer, especially. Um, it says, we become experts at practicing hopelessness, not believing that our heart's yearning are real, denying that our feelings matter and lacking the faith that we are really made as a person of immense value. We deny our innate wishes for more life and love. We act as if nothing gets to us and we pretend that things don't matter. And and it keeps going on more and describes more of practicing hopelessness in those ways of like a way of protection. And if I say that what you do or don't do doesn't hurt me, then it doesn't. It can't exist if I say it doesn't. Mm. When in reality, like words do hurt. <laughs> Um, but that was kind of my barrier that I had growing up, that it didn't matter what my mom said or did or didn't do, my dad or sister, I would just leave or I would just, I didn't want to give them the power in my mind. I thought that I was giving them the power if um, if I acknowledged that they hurt me. And that was from a book called The Voice of the Heart? Yes, by Chip Dodd. It's a book that I read years later. But I was like, this is what I was feeling. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how therapists and authors can give words to what Mm -hmm. we were feeling? You're like, oh my gosh. Wow. Um, So you mentioned when you became a believer. So would you share what role, if at all, faith had in your home growing up? Or what exposure maybe you had to the church or to Jesus or any of that? Yeah. we, um, We probably went whenever I was really young, like probably younger than five but I remember not ever going to like class like it we didn't like it we didn't we didn't go very long I don't remember much of it other than like drawing in the pew and then I mm-hmm. went again a couple of times um, in high school but it was more of the social you know it was like I don't remember any of the talks I just remember they had great smoothies at this little like smoothie bar <laughs> and so it was kind of <laughs> like that's what you did on a Wednesday night you know um, and so I don't remember a single thing from it because it was mostly like play. How do you get, you know, high school students there? It's like, oh, here's air hockey and smoothies. Like, 
Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's how we did church in the, what, like early 2000s? Yeah. 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 So tell us about your experience in college. Where did you go to school and what, what was life like for Casey at that point in time? Uh, So I went to the University of Tulsa. Um, I had moved from Springfield and uh, I started a degree in exercise and sports science, which I loved. It was so fun. It was hands-on. I was really excited about it. But I, I realized that like all of my classmates were all like from college athletes. They all had their team. And for the first time in my life, I didn't have a team. I was me and like mm-hmm. two or three other people who weren't, you know, on the golf team, the rowing team or whatever. And so my first semester, I was very lonely um, because I still would get up and run every morning. And then I had morning classes. I was done with everything by like two o'clock and I had nothing to do. (laughs) And so, yeah, that transition to college was really hard. I loved to you. I love that it was small, um, but I kind of got to the point where I don't know what I'm doing and I need to make friends. And other than sports, like I don't really know how to do that. So I ended up joining a sorority in the spring of my freshman year. And um, that's kind of how I grew my friend group. (laughs) My uh, new member educator was one that kind of befriended me and she was a year older and, you know, knew a lot of people and got me plugged in. And ultimately she's actually the one who, you know, the Lord's timing with all of this. Um, She's actually the one who shared the gospel with me and um, really kind of walked through that because for me, it wasn't like a light switch. It wasn't um, it wasn't like a, oh, she told me now I'm a believer. Like it, I mulled over it for a couple of weeks. And because if this was true, like my life had to change, like the things that I was doing, mm-hmm. like, could it, it couldn't be the same if this is what's true. And so mm-hmm. I remember um, that year and she shared the gospel with me and I was like, okay, I don't know about this. And then finally I was like, okay, I want to do this God thing for real. Um, and, and so I wanted to be all in. And so I started reading. Mm-hmm. I just grabbed like, I don't know, a 50 cent spiral notebook. And we read through the book of Matthew together. And again, my friend grew up in church, you know, but I wrote down so many questions on like each verse. Like there was like 50 questions, mm-hmm. you know, every couple of verses. And she was like, oh, okay. So this is we're going to go there. <laughs> I just had a lot of questions <laughs> like about Jesus and about, yeah. I'd never read it before. Um, and so I went all in and started reading and grew a lot. Um, in my time in college, I had a lot of really good friends who taught me, they taught me how to pray. They taught me how to read. They taught me how to study the Bible, how to share it. I grew so, so much and definitely stumbled through it. You know, I had no background in knowing, um, you know, like knowing the history of the Bible or anything like that. And so definitely a, a messy <laughs> process for me, um, mm-hmm. you know, because you would go to a church service and everyone would be like, okay, so you know the story of Abraham? Well, here we are here. And I'm like, I don't even know who Abraham is. Can you go back and share that part or <laughs> tell me, give me a little summary. Um, and so it was a lot of reading yeah. and a lot of investigating. I, I just love that part of your story. I love that 
sororities get a bad rap, but if you've actually been in one, because I have, and there were some pretty amazing women who, in part of my story, I feel like taught me how to study the Bible also. Um, And that's really the place where I was like, okay, you know, um, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm either, like you said, like, if this is true, then like my life has to, my life has to show it. You talked earlier about the song. <laughs> I forgot to look oh, it yeah. up. And I was just looking at my note. There's got to be more to yes. life or something. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look it up and put it in the show notes for people. Yes. Well, the, um, the lyrics go. There's got to be more to life than chasing all these temporary highs just to satisfy me. And that song came on all the time during that. And I remember that first semester of college just being like, literally. I'm not kidding you. Every time I got in my car, that song came on the radio I was like what Mm. is going like what is this and um but it did it made me think about the lyrics and I was like what am I doing with my life like um and that's why I say like the Lord really just like planted seeds and prepared me to hear the gospel when exactly at the right time because if if it would have been my first semester I probably wouldn't have been that receptive because I think he brought me to a point of loneliness. You know, I, I grew up in Springfield. I lived there, you know, my whole life. I never had to like really make new friends. Like I always had friends since childhood. Mm -hmm. And so here I was and I was alone. I didn't know anyone. And like, there was nothing to lean on. There was no sport. There was no Mm -hmm. group here. I was. And so Mm -hmm. what was going on in your family at the time? And did they know or how did they learn about you responding to the gospel or this God thing, as you said? And if so, what did they think of all that? Yeah. So my parents moved here in, and at the time, my mom was having an affair with another woman. And so that was going on. And my parents were probably working through that. Again, I was on campus, so I wasn't um, seeing that day to day, but it was very messy and very confusing, and I, I am, and I had known that something was going on for, um, for years, um, but wasn't sure what would come of it. Wasn't sure what progress they were making or not making. If they're going to counseling, like it was very hush hush, um, on my mm-hmm. end, and uh, so I became a believer my fr- end of my freshman year, and that summer I went away. Um, and did a summer program called Kaleo. And that's where I learned like the foundations of my faith. And so I think for them, they were kind of like, what is Kaleo? What are you doing? You know, okay, I guess if mm-hmm. you just want to go do the summer thing, that's fine. But I don't think that they really understood any of it. At the time, and probably still not today either. They weren't, mm. they weren't very involved at the time. And I think it's because they were going through what they were going through. They weren't involved in you know, my college studies either. It wasn't just spiritual life. It was, they had a lot going on. And so a year later, they actually went through their divorce. um, And that was just a weird time. Like I kind of knew it was coming, but I remember um, at this point, my sister's married, you know, and I'm single. And for the first time in forever, my parents asked my sister to come down and her husband couldn't. So it was just me and my mom my dad and my sister. And again, we grew up and we did not have dinner together. 
And so here we are, mm-hmm. and they tell it. They have us. We're all sitting down at a table together, and they tell us that they're going to get a divorce, you know, because of these things. And it was just a weird moment of like, it's like your childhood flashes, flash, flashes through your mind when you have those, like, intense conversations, and like, okay, this is really happening. Like this, it's now severed forever. Um, Mm-hmm. So I guess you will kind of always hang on to maybe maybe they'll work it out or maybe something, even though you see the writing on the wall, but it was messy. And so I just dove into like my college life. There really mm-hmm. wasn't anything, I guess, for me in that family arena. But really, I just stuck to the Lord. Like, how do I, I don't know what's going on and I don't know what to do with all of this, but I do know. That again, if if the gospel is real, if the Bible is true, then I have to cling to something else other than circumstances and people because I feel like I had a, you know, especially with my mom, just like a record of like people letting me down or abandoning or withdrawing, you know, love or whatever that is. And so I needed something to anchor. And that was what I just, thankfully, that that is what I did. I mean, I could have turned to anything, but again, it was the Lord's grace and goodness. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, this was, it sounds like there was a a pattern of dysfunction growing up. And then it, is it accurate to say came to a head or culminated after you had heard the gospel and after you had, yeah, at least after you had found this anchor that you were able to put your hope in something else. And then perhaps that's you know, what started your process of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. What did life look like after college? So you're single, a new believer, family has kind of off doing its own thing and you're on a journey of healing. What did that look like? Where did it take you? Yeah. So definitely um, throughout college, I really thought that the Lord was leading me to be a missionary. I was, I was very convinced. I was willing. I was ready. I had been before, you know, even just for a summer. But I, I was all in, like I said. And for whatever reason, the Lord shut that door at the last moment. And so I was very, I had a very hard time with that because I was very confused. I, here I am, and I'm growing, and I'm, I've been praying, and you know, I'm, I have mentors, like all the things, and yet. I felt like I couldn't, I didn't hear from the Lord right or that I wasn't following him. And so I felt, again, back to those very alone. I was like, wait, Lord, did you leave me? Like, did you lead me astray? Mm-hmm. Like what happened? And so I had a lot of, a lot of time of wrestling with these questions and um, a lot of time, honestly, just like grieving the loss of not going overseas and then wrestling with these questions of like, God, do you, do you really care? Are you here? Are you near? Like, um, do you actually have a good plan for me? Or like, what am I doing here? Like, what's my purpose? And so anyways, he led me to Memphis, which is probably one of the last places that I thought I would end up. Um, <laughs> but thankfully, you could go going overseas or Memphis. Yeah, that's kind of how it <laughs> sounded. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, But um, I ended up doing a program called Downline Ministries that Ken and Vaughn started. And I cannot be more thankful for my time there because it was, I lived in Memphis for two years and it was the hardest two years probably of my life, but 
the most impactful. Um, Downline, if you don't know, it's um, a nine-month program where they go through the Bible and teach you chronologically, and then the focus is on discipleship. And then I did a secondary program that's with that. Um, it's for young professionals called Emerging Leaders, where you had an additional class, and we did a lot of you know, theology and things like that. And you're also paired with a mentor. And um, what's wonderful about that is, again, the Lord ordained my mentor and I because we met at like a barbecue and her husband worked mm-hmm. um, for Downline. And I don't know how we started talking, but we, we bonded over running. She ran and I ran. And so before we were, she actually requested me, I think later, but um, we uh, started running together and just got to get to know each other. And it was so great. Um, and she has a really cool story too, and uh, was really easy to talk to and somebody to connect with immediately, even though I had such mm-hmm. a hard time and it was a really lonely period for me in Memphis. She was also somebody consistent that, you know, she was my mentor, but she was also a friend <laughs> um, through the mm-hmm. two years. Yeah. So through Memphis, I feel like the Lord really grew me in in two major ways. One, I was learning so much more about the Bible. Now here for the first time, I'm learning the whole life story of Abraham. I had no idea like his backstory. Mm. I only knew, you know, um, him sacrificing Isaac. Like that's what I was taught in college. Nobody gave me the backstory. And so the focus Mm. in college was, you know, see what Abraham did. He obeyed God right away. He went up the next morning and I was like, okay, I need to obey right away not knowing these years that he had lied about, you know, all of this stuff. I had no idea. And I was like, yeah. hey, we did a little Yeah. Long. Abraham's a complicated yes. dude. Yeah. So that, like I learned grace, like depths of grace over and over again. Um, as yeah. I read and I got to see the whole story. Um, so I became even more passionate about reading the word. Um, so I feel like he was growing me spiritually and then, because I was so lonely and I had no idea why I was there. Um, even though I felt like I love downline, but I pretty much don't like anything else here. And so anyways, I felt, um, my time with the Lord was, um, really sweet because it was a lot of time of me just praying and me just crying and, um, kind of going through that process. Like David did, like, if you read the Psalms, like he, he cries out to the Lord and it's these cycles of him just being raw and vulnerable. And then him coming back to kind of the truth at the end, he's like, Oh, but you're still God. And I feel like that was my Mm -hmm. process each and every day. I was like, Oh, this is awful. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I feel the way I'm feeling. And yet you're still God. Like, I know that this has to be true. That's, that is what I'm going to cling to. And so um, the Lord brought me to counseling. So I went to counseling for the first time to actually work on my story. And that's where I read um, the voice of the heart for the first time and really kind of realized that like, wait a second, even though my parents were loving in a lot of ways and were involved in a lot of ways, um, there was a lot of missing pieces. Um, There was a lot of things that were unhealthy and dysfunctional. And I, again, the sticks and stones, I just had this mentality that like, it wasn't that bad or those things like, and just brush it under the rug. But through counseling and through telling my story and getting asked questions, teasing out these things that happened, I realized that like, wait a second, the things that happened or didn't happen to me like matter. 
like they matter. Mm -hmm. And I never, I, I didn't believe I had so much shame that like, I didn't believe that these like small, seemingly insignificant moments mattered. Like it mattered when my mom chose my sister's Mother's Day event other, over mine. It mattered that my dad was the only one there. Mm -hmm. I'm thankful my dad came, but like, and he made it fun, but like that still hurt me that she didn't choose me. And I know that mm -hmm. that can be hard, like choosing your kids' things, but like still, um, there was no acknowledgement, at least as far as what I remember. I didn't remember an apology or anything like that. And so it brought a lot of, I guess, just reassurance and confidence that these thoughts and feelings in my head were there for a reason. And they led me to my story and they led me to the lies that I was believing and they led me to the truth that I needed to replace them with. And so I'm glad that I was able to process through those feelings of abandonment and loneliness and just shame that I just didn't matter, that I didn't have a belonging. You know, here my, my family is kind of broken up and there just wasn't that unit. And um, mm -hmm. I just felt like I was just kind of floating through life of like, Lord, I don't know what you have for me, um, but this this can't be it because this is miserable. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really powerful what you said about identifying the lies that we believe and then reframing them. And you mentioned earlier about kind of like rewiring your brain. And that really is, you know, my background is actually as a therapist, that really is what I believe therapy can do is help us to retrain our brain. Um, but I think pairing that with the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word as the thing that we, that exposes the lies and exposes the patterns of uh, sin in our families of origin, in our own hearts and lives that sometimes we, we do so well, we don't even see it until we hold it up to the light. Yeah. What was your biggest takeaway from that season of counseling when you were living in Memphis? I think my biggest takeaway overall was just that like, my voice mattered, my thoughts mattered, my feelings mattered, and that like I can voice them, even if somebody else doesn't feel or react the same way, I can still speak that out and it being okay. Mm -hmm. Like before it was, I felt like a burden to somebody or if I were to feel, I, not that I was like a, a peacemaker by any means, that's probably not my personality, but I also would just rather like numb it and not feel. And so I think biggest takeaway would be that I matter, that I belong, that I, my thoughts and feelings matter and that um, people want to be vulnerable, like, and to share that. Um, you know, this is what I love about remembering is that when we're intentional about it, when we go back and we remember a season or a place, I really, in the last year of sort of being transient, I think, God has shown me so much about how place matters. It actually matters that like being in Memphis in that season of your story mattered. Yeah. And, and the good part, just like your, your, your emotions mattered, like the good part of being there mattered and the hard parts about being there mattered. And that's actually what made it really beautiful is how God used all of yes. that. So what brought you back to Tulsa? I actually don't know the answer to that. Why did you come back? <laughs> I mean, I loved Memphis, like I said, for a lot of reasons, but I just didn't see myself staying in Memphis. It was 
close enough to come home on the weekend, but that was also an exhausting trip to come home. Mm-hmm. So I, my niece was being born. Um, I just didn't think that I was going to stay there for the long term, but moved back. And then about a year later, whenever I was visiting churches, I met my husband. And so again, I'm there to find a church. I was very like tunnel vision. This is what I'm looking for. I'm going through, I'm analyzing it. I'm checking out what they believe in. Um, you know, cause I'm just very like, I don't want to be messed with kind of thing. And um, <laughs> anyway, so he kept kind of hanging around and um, finally asked me out. <laughs> um, and I said, yes, mainly because I was, I just didn't, I was, didn't want him to keep asking like, or just like keep being around. Cause I felt like everywhere I was, he was there. Um, he, but he was so kind and gentle and sweet about it. Anyway, so we went on two dates and I said no to a third. Uh, <laughs> then it was like, I don't know, six, seven, eight months later, um, he finally asked me out again. And yeah, it's history. Man, that. Justin was, he, he was persistent. He was, yes. Very <laughs> persistent and very, yeah. He just like found his way wherever I was. He just happened to be at the same place I was eating brunch or <laughs> wherever. And so he made himself known. Um, but like, not like a, not like no, stalker not vibes stalker or anything. Vibes. He just, we, had, we were in kind of in the same friend group at church, but he would just, oh, you guys are going to there for lunch today? You know, would pipe in, uh, uh-huh. which is really funny. What made you say yes the third time that he asked you? Well, no, what made you say yes? like that seven or eight eight months later? Mainly we just had become friends. So the first couple of dates that we went on before were just very generic. You know, he took took me out to dinner and a a drink, which was like fine, but I was also, I want to go do something. Um, And so we just didn't have much in common. He talked a lot about music and I could really care less and (laughs) all the things. We just didn't didn't have that much to like say those dates um and then we still hung out in like friend groups at church and so I just got to know him better and you know how those things go like you just hang out with people and then the big group kind of fades and then it's just you guys left <laughs> you know getting ice cream or something <laughs> and so that happened a couple of times uh-huh. and I just got to know him like where it was kind of friend zoned anyways and so there was no pressure. Mm-hmm. He wasn't trying to impress. Yeah. I wasn't trying to do anything. Um, and so I got to know him and I thought he was really funny. And I realized too that he and he just really treats everyone with like kindness. And like he's like mm-hmm. so servant hearted. Like he says yes to people and like helps people like everybody. It didn't matter. And I was mm-hmm. like, I was just really blown away by that too. Nothing was a was an inconvenience for him. So what was it like bringing your family story into a new marriage? Well, um, it was kind of messy. It (laughs) brought in a lot of baggage, you know, and a lot of our friends, you know, their first year of marriage, they were going on fun trips. They were doing all this great stuff. And here are the things that we did. We, he had already had a house south of Tulsa and I just like couldn't do it so we moved to Midtown and bought a fixer-upper so we had a fixer-upper we're newly married <laughs> I brought in a ton of baggage and then 
we ended up needing to go to counseling <laughs> to kind of work through a lot of those issues. <laughs> and so I felt like our house, um, which I like saved all these pictures because it was such a parallel of what God was doing in our mm. marriage and our own stories that all the things that he was carrying out and then putting in new, I just felt we had a lot of work to do on how to communicate. I had a lot of hard time believing that what Justin said was going to be true. And we would create this like narrative of what the other person was. We thought what the other person was saying would in reality, that's not what happened. That's not what's true. But because of my story, I would just put all of this on him. And so we just couldn't, there was, certain things that we just like couldn't connect on. Um, and so it was a lot of healing for me to work with our counselor in Tulsa and, you know, going back to the writing and acknowledging those lies. I have no, a notebook full of these charts that I made of like, I wrote down all the lies that I believed. I wrote down all of the feelings associated with those lies. I wrote down all the events of like, where did, where do I believe that these lies came into my life? And is there any Mm. action that I need to take as far as reconciliation? And then what truth do I need to replace it with? And I just worked Mm. on those. I wrote out truth statements. I had flashcards of them. So I would, I would go to that instead of, you know, I was working on rewiring my brain. So like, I didn't just go to these lies or blaming myself or these insecurities or these shame thoughts. Um, I would go into a conversation with Justin knowing that like, because, like, I couldn't apologize. Like, how do you mm. go into a marriage and not apologize for something? You always are messing up and need to. <laughs> and yet I couldn't have that conversation without feeling like I was either a horrible person or I think of um, – did you ever watch Parks and Rec? Okay. Oh, yeah. Every episode. <laughs> do you remember that episode where she was trying to apologize to the other town? About the town's name. Oh, Eagleton. So she's trying to apologize and she just like can't say it. That was me, our first year of marriage. I could not oh, say man. I'm I could not get the words out. I'm sorry. Um, and so mm. what Justin would do, he would give me a script, he would say it, and then I would repeat it. Because like I couldn't do it. Like I felt like yeah, the emotional intelligence of like a child, because like I just didn't have a model mm. of that. And I had to retrain, figure it out. Like nobody taught me that. Nobody you know, walked me through that. And so um, we had a lot of work to do that first year, but so grateful for what came out of that. I feel like we're able to communicate so much more now. And, you know, here we are, I don't know, however many years later, six, seven years later. And, you know, we have another house that we've had to like do some work on and it just seems so much easier because like now we can communicate (laughs) much different this time around. I love that. See, Again, I'm just going back to this because this is what's been on my brain, but I'm like, place matters. Mm -hmm. See how God used your physical space to to teach you and to help you remember too. I think that's the other thing. Another way that God uses place or space is that like they become little markers on the timeline of our lives, you know, kind of in the way that like pets do or, you know, whatever it wants to be. But um, yeah, a marker in a season of your life. And thank you for your vulnerability about counseling. I mean, and the detail. I think there's a lot of people, even though counseling is so much more normalized than it used to be, I think there's many, many people that don't realize what it would be, like what that that it could be as practical as 
writing down what you're thinking and what event is connected to that and what emotion is connected to that and making flashcards. Like what a cool practical way to practice and being a healthy person. Yeah. It's very cool. I love it. What was it like then adding motherhood as another layer to who you are and your experience and um yeah, what was motherhood like when you added that into the fold of all these parts of your story? Yeah. So um having children has been the greatest thing I've ever done. Um, the greatest joy, um, also the hardest thing I've ever done. And when we got pregnant with our first Evelyn, um, I had already created several boundaries with my mom for different reasons. And we wanted to solidify those boundaries because I didn't want my kids exposed to, you know, certain things that she believed or the things that she did or whatever I wanted. I wanted to be a gatekeeper there. And so we kind of um, talked to her and I had written out what I wanted to say and asked her, I said, would you go to counseling and I'll go to counseling and then we can go to counseling together to like, let's work on having a healthy relationship, just you and me um, before you can have any interaction with our kids. Like you and I have to have a, a real, you know, healthy relationship first. Um, and ultimately she, she declined. That wasn't something that she was interested in doing. And so, you know, that's whenever I was, you know, halfway through my pregnancy or something. And so you have to like, like my expectations should have already been lower, you know, because of our past it mm. in my mind, I probably should have, but you always have this remaining hope that maybe like maybe something will be different this mm. time. And so I had to grieve the fact that, okay, well then we can't be in relationship. And so my mom has not been around. She hasn't met any of, any of our kids. I mean, we've seen her like at my niece and nephew's birthday a couple of times, but I mean, she hasn't really talked to our kids. And so each time I feel like (laughs) I've been pregnant and go through this, I have to tell myself again, the truth that even though things aren't as it should be, even though I don't have a nurturing mom, or even in this case, like even like a mentor in my life right now, like even though I don't have that role model, somebody who's advocating for me, that's years ahead of me, that's checking in on me, that's walking through this with me. um, I'm still okay. I'm still held by God. Like he hasn't left me, even though this is hard, it's still good. And Mm. just repeating and trying to coach myself through books and through friendships, things like that, of like, all of this matters. I want to be a present mom. I want to be nurturing and loving and validating and being them those things. And so pregnancy with Evelyn and having her postpartum, I mean, it was also COVID. And so it was mm. surprisingly not as lonely as you would think for me because I got out with her a lot outside and I felt like I got to just bond with her. <laughs> and um, Carlotta came along. And I think with that pregnancy, there was, and I felt this during my pregnancy too, um, that the Lord was going to do something. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how, but there was just too many things that I felt like, the, like that God was preparing me for. Um, and just a lot of healing took place of like, she was also really a physical touch baby. And I feel like that was a gift. As hard as that was, like mm. she co-slept with us, she was with us. She wanted to be held 
all of the time. So I baby wore all the time. I cooked every dinner with her on my hip. Like she still to this day is who I cook with. Like she wants to be held. Mm, yeah. And I felt like the Lord was like speaking to me through her. Like how you hold Lottie is how I hold you. Um, and oh. every time that I went to like comfort her or nurture her, it was like the Lord saying, this is what I do for you. This is how I'm speaking to mm. your heart and your mind. And I brought a lot of healing as hard as that time was. Um, and I still don't have all the pieces. You know, here's Walter and he's six months and I'm learning other things all over again. Um, you know, how do I handle three and how do I, you know, again, like I don't have any help. There's nobody checking in on me as far as, you know, at least not consistently Um you know, postpartum, I'm on my feet really quickly after that. Like I have to be, and it's hard in that because I wish that I had more time of like physical rest. And yet I feel like it's also a reminder that like God sustains. Um, mm. Even though I have like really, <laughs> really horrible days where I lose my temper, you know, all the things um, it's, it just reminds me of, I'm living out almost the Psalms of like all of these things keep happening or, um, whether or not good or bad, but this is this is the truth and this is what remains. So at the end of the day, I'm going to speak truth to myself and to my children. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There really is nothing quite as refining, I think, as these early years of motherhood. And I don't know because I'm only nine years in. So those that are listening who have older children may be laughing at us, Casey. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm per- I'm personally, I know, you know, people say that, but like, I really love teenagers. And as Ella has gotten older and can like hang out with us, like that's just been such a fun, like, I just look forward to that. Almost like the twins will go to bed and she can stay up a little bit later and it's just Ella and me and Dustin and we're just kind of hanging out and she can talk about the books that she likes and she wants to just be that. with us. And so anyway, I know teenagers are hard, I guess, but I'm kind of looking forward to it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I want to ask you one big question and then a fun question. Um, and so you, there's no wrong way to answer either of these, but the big one is how has the gospel changed your life? That is a big question. <laughs> I mean, really it's changed everything. I mean, I, that's such a cliche answer, but it has given me purpose and peace amidst life. You know, you you think about just work in general or like life in general, pursuits of this world, like they're meaningless compared to what we have with Jesus. And so I think it just has given me that like vision that I've always longed for that like not necessarily like goal, but just that light. Like I know that this is coming and I, this is, this is what I'm for. This is what I'm made for. This is what I'm designed for. This is why I can do the things that I do. And this is why I don't do the things that I do. Like this is, this is the why behind everything that I do. Mm-hmm. And it's my, my filter for saying yes and saying no. And so it has changed literally everything in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When we were talking earlier, I want to capture this because it has stuck with me since I uh, talked to you earlier, but you you just simply said, I'm never abandoned by God, that in your seasons of loneliness, 
um, in your seasons of grief and healing as you were learning to follow Jesus, to pray, to study the word, that kind of the overarching theme was that you were never abandoned by God. Whenever I think of that, like that is, again, the anchor, because that's, that was my fear. Like that's my, that was my experience emotionally with, you know, like my parents is, is they weren't there when I needed them. And, and yet God has been there and will always be there. And so it's just like this, it is what I, what I hold on to. It is Mm -hmm. everything to me. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. First, I want to say this, Casey, thank you for sharing your story. It was beautiful. It was vulnerable um, and costly to share as a mom who this part will be edited out, but had to nurse her baby in the middle of the interview (laughs) and not had to, got to nurse her baby in the middle of the interview um, in the evening. And so I just, I really appreciate and I value your story. And I think God's going to use it to bless the people who are listening um, to encourage them, to equip them, to challenge them to remember his good work in their lives. So thank you for sharing. Okay. My question for you, and this might be hard. My light question for you is what's something that made you laugh in the last week? Oh gosh. It can be a TV show or a book or something that Justin did. I don't know. You said he was funny. (laughs) I did say he was funny. Um, I mean, honestly, I think Lottie is at a really fun age. So she's almost two and a half and I mean, I can't remember all the specifics that she does. I mean, like tonight we were reading this book. It's an old Richard Scary book. And so um, mm. it's about Kenny Bear. And he like, Kenny Bear gets out of bed. He gets dressed, <laughs> you know, all the stuff that it goes through. And it's everything that he has for breakfast. Like every single like detail. So it's like plate, cup, fork, whatever. Evelyn loves to say them. But we wanted Lottie to have a turn because we want Lottie to, you know, learn. And so Lottie's going through. So in the book, there was a picture of a jar of jam. Well, instead of saying jam or jelly, Lottie called it raisin poo-poo. And Evelyn like (laughs) lost her mind. She was laughing so hard. And Justin was like, well, I mean, it kind of does look like that. It's kind of what it is anyways. And then Lottie was laughing. So she just like says things and does things. She loves to wear dresses and dance around. And yet, she could climb up a straight wall if she wanted to. Like she's so athletic. Mm-hmm. And so I find her in like the weirdest <laughs> places of the house and wedged in there, just doing her own thing. I love it. She's 100% a second. I love born. it. I love it. Go Lottie. Go Lottie. Casey, thank you so much for doing this and I'm excited to share it with everybody. And I wish you a peaceful rest of your evening and for kids to sleep all the way through the night. Thank you. Yes, that would be a blessing tonight.